0: Welcome back to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. We continue to produce daily content on FNFCoaches.com. Visit the site to check out stories about how the pandemic is impacting football across the country. Also, subscribe to FNF Coaches Podcast on your preferred platform. We're on Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, and Google Play. Chris Parker is our guest today. He was the head coach at Chapel High School in Georgia from 2008 to 2011 and Pickens High School in Georgia from 2012 to 2018. He took over both schools when they were down and turned them into winning programs. Teams at both high schools set records for wins, playoff appearances, and playoff production. He also helped both schools win their first playoff game in school history. Coach Parker also served as the school-level athletic director and district athletic director. He is currently the director of human resources for the Pickens County School District. Chris welcome to the podcast. Yeah thanks
1: for having me on glad to be here.
0: Nice yeah I'm excited to have you on it. It all kind of came back came together pretty quickly. I saw one of your tweets about a week ago and you had provided a cheat sheet for coaches for late game decision making. Yeah. uh, It had rules like if you're in a two-minute offense and you need a touchdown tips like don't change personnel unless the clock is stopped. Try not to flip the strength unless Mm -hmm. the clock is stopped. And um. It's funny. It's it's a great resource for coaches and one that could definitely help because when you when you think about coaches at every level, even you know our Super Bowl champion coach right now with the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid, always seems to struggle with those kind of late game clock management type of situation. He's he's become infamous. How how did the cheat sheet come about, and was that something you you put together while you were coaching, or ha, has it come together right. since?
1: Well, you know what happened with me um, was I had. I'm, I'm very meticulous and I'm very organized and that's served me well across the years. And, um, you know, as, as I learned football when I was, you know, 20 years ago, I would just take notes and I would put them all together at some point, you know, once a week, once a month, whatever. I would just take all the notes that I other coaches had told me, we got whatever and kind of organize them into these documents. You know, back then it was probably whatever was before Microsoft Word, but um, anyway, I just update every year I got to the point when I was the head coach where I just kind of read through all of our written plans annually and kind of edited some things. When I, um, I quit coaching in 2018, I became just our school district's athletic director. And, uh, then since then I've become an HR director, uh, not being involved in athletics was weird. So I would, uh, you know, I'd tweet out something, here's something we use for this or that. And for whatever reason, it just kind of took off. And now, you know, I do it fairly often. But that particular thing came from a lifetime of uh, learning the hard way and getting (laughs) notes from people on things. But I just really believed in having a plan. And, and, you know, I think a mistake a lot of coaches make is making the same mistake over and over again. And not intentionally, but, you know, they made that mistake. They switched the formation in a two-minute – situation and they realize kids are running across the field and it's harder to run the play. You know, we did, I did that. I'm not going to tell you I haven't done that. I'm sure I have. Sure. Yeah. But then you write it, you know, you kind of make yourself a note, however you go about making yourself notes. They don't have to be like mine were, but uh, to try to make sure you learn from that experience, exactly what we asked the players to do, you know, we asked our coaches to do so. I just thought that stuff was important now because I don't use it. I, I really genuinely does make me happy that, that I can share a lot of that stuff with people and um give them a chance to help their team.
0: Yeah. I mentioned Andy Reid earlier. I'm a long-time Philadelphia Eagles fan and uh when you were just talking about switching formations there and that, you know, 2-minute drill mm-hmm. or 4-minute uh offense it was that I it's bringing back flashbacks of that Super Bowl they played against yeah. the Patriots in like 2004, yep. I think or 2005. Mm-hmm. And uh you know they're in a two minute offense and McNabb I think ended up puking in the huddle and they're they're yeah. huddling up you know they're they're down two scores and they keep huddling and you're like watching it at home like how is this happening but things are going moving so fast on the sidelines during a game you know you can definitely see how coaches might make mistakes where they're not yeah. um you know they're they're not as dialed in and you, and that chi chi can really help And I, you know, another thing that I thought of with Andy Reid, when I, when I first went to your uh, website, parkerresources.org, it almost, I I heard when Andy Reid interviewed with the Eagles back in like 98, he brought in this binder of how to run a pro, uh, how he wanted to run his NFL program. And it's, you know, these are the days that we're going to have full pads practices. These are the days that we're going to give our veterans the day off. This is how we're going to travel on the day of the game. And it's just so meticulous and so detail oriented and then when i got on your website i was like you know this is reminding me of that because you know you have um you know pdfs and documents Mm -hmm. that they can read through about uh, so many different topics culture building x's and o's all that stuff you have online courses is that kind of how that came together you put a binder throughout your together throughout your career and just came up with all these different ideas
1: it was, um, we just, like I said, I always had that stuff. And then I got to the point my last few years of coaching where we had had a lot of success and uh, people were constantly asking me, hey, send me your coaching responsibilities or send me what you guys did for practice plans or whatever it was. And I would email it to them. Uh, well, when I quit being an athletic director, moved to this HR role, I, um, I started, I, I just, somebody something about it, somebody asked me for some kind of responsibilities thing and I just put it on Twitter instead. And it had five or six hundred people liked it immediately, or something. And it was interesting to me. I didn't realize how necessary that was, you know. Because I when I became a head coach and I was very young, I was twenty nine, and um, I took a team that was zero and ten. And our first year, we won nine games. It wasn't me. We had good players, but it just kind of felt like, well, this is easy, you know. So I had uh, I, I for whatever reason, I maintained that head coach role for a long time. So it had been a long time since I was on somebody else's staff. I didn't know what other people needed or didn't know. And so once I was able to put some of that stuff out there and see how um, excited people were to get that and how helpful it was, that was a different kind of feeling. You know, there's this feeling you get when you help kids learn the game and help them become better men that, that everybody loved when they coached. And, you know, now that I don't coach, I kind of miss that, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's a similar kind of feeling when you can help out some guys that have been struggling with, you know, something, maybe something as simple as a form they could use for their booster club or something as simple as just reminding them to put the formation, the strength of the formation into the boundary. You know, don't always put the strength to the field or whatever it is. It, there, it's been interesting how, how that made me feel. I didn't really expect that. So then it just kind of expanded. People were calling me all the time, want me to send them something. They pay me, whatever it was. It, at first, it just was really awkward because uh, you don't you don't really think of stuff like that as a coach. But then I just started kind of packaging those documents and saying, look, you know, you you know, here here's what you can get for this or this. And I've probably given away way more stuff than I've sold and I'll keep doing that because I don't really do it for the money. But it's been an interesting venture now to provide that platform for people uh if they're interested in getting organized because that is really the key to being successful in coaching is being organized, being able to communicate. And being able to present and deliver information and you know that that's really what kind of my new mission now in this last year or so moving forward is to help coaches and athletic directors because i work with them too so uh build relationships communicate and present and deliver information better i just feel like those are the things that i learned as a head coach but also as an ad that when we had to deal with coaches it always came down to their relationships with people in their program their ability to communicate, or maybe they had a great plan, but they presented it horribly. You know, they really did have a good idea, but the way they said it to the parent or the way they said it to the kid really just tore it down. And so those, if you can get good at those three things, you're going to have a chance to be successful. And so uh, since then, it's not as awkward and I've tried to really take the ball and run with it and put as many things out as possible you know, to help people get organized. And sometimes it is something like late game situations, but sometimes it's really just, hey, make yourself a list. You know, it's something that's kind of generic for all sports. Maybe it's not just for football, but football is the toughest sport to get organized in. It's the most complex, the most moving parts. And so that's what made it fun to me, but it also is really challenging. And I think until people become the head coach, they don't quite understand what all it entails and, and not just offense, defense, best team. So, yeah, we try to come up with many things as possible. But I'm open to suggestions too. So, Dan, if you saw anything we need to do better, you just let me know.
0: Yeah, no, it's a looks pretty thorough to me, and definitely, you know, you've drawn on a lot of good experience with the, uh, throughout your coaching career and probably playing career. Yeah, I do want to go back through. Well, I want to talk to you about what made you decide to. Um, walk away from coaching because it sounds like you did love it and love the uh mentoring aspect to it but um first I want to go back to your background as uh, you know with the sport it sounds like I was looking through your podcast is that your brother that does the podcast with you or yeah my
1: brother and then the guy that was our offensive line coach for a long time uh became the principal at one of our schools my brother became an assistant principal I'm the HR director, so none of us can coach a thing anymore. But we're just has beens <laughs> But once this kind of took off, people wanted to start a podcast. I got them to help me, and it's a uh, it's been a neat experience for us. It's fun for us to talk football. We don't get to do it anymore, and honestly, we don't see each other that much. Oh yeah, you know, so it's kind of something to do together. You know,
0: yeah. So I so I was listening to a couple of them, and it, it sounds you know like you and your brother obviously have connected over football mm-hmm. for I'm sure your entire lives what was what was your football background how did you get introduced to the sport and how big of a part of your life was it growing up
1: well i'm from uh i'm from foley alabama same place as julio jones and kenny stabler and a couple other people but south alabama and the beach and um you know football's just big down there and we just grew up playing my dad loved football you know down there everybody likes you know either alabama or auburn and college football's a big deal and uh you know, I, I just I just like the sport. And once I got to middle school, I started playing. And the people who were coaches were just mentors to me and really took me in and kind of, you know, encouraged me what to do. Um, my family, people hadn't really gone to college or done a lot of things. We were down in a rural um, – in kind of a rural area down there. And they just kind of – you know, I just really took to the coaches. And so I was a decent player, but I wasn't a good enough player to go play at Alabama. I could go to college at alabama so i go to university of alabama and um with the mission of getting out of there so i could go back and be one of these coaches that had poured into me and so the first place that offered me a job was at sequoia high school uh outside of atlanta i'd uh, never been there didn't know anything about it but they did offer me a job i graduated in the middle of the year you know if you know how schools work you are not know, get so many opportunities when you graduate in december so uh, Sequoia had an immediate opening. I went and interviewed for the job and I got it. And um, the head coach there was a guy named Sid Maxwell, who uh, has been is a great coach in Georgia. I didn't know it. I had no idea if the place was any good, if they had a good coach. I just wanted to coach football. So I went over there and um told them that I, you know, I obviously would take the job if they offered it to me, but I did want to coach football. They didn't have any openings, you know, they didn't have any football spots. They just needed a teacher and they said we can talk to the head coach. So I talked to them and just took a volunteer position, essentially, uh, with the intent of probably going back to Alabama, maybe to Foley, maybe where I was from, whatever. And, you know, that was 20 years ago, and I've not left Georgia since. So it just – how it worked out, that I I really took to the place at Sequoia. They took to me, and um, I rose up the ranks really quick. I was offensive coordinator at a really young age, and we had a really good team. Uh, So we weren't one of these places that struggled. Sequoia was one of the big schools back then, uh, finishing the top five in the state once and had had several good teams. So from there, I went to be the head football coach at Chapel Hill. I was 29, like I said, and um, they were 0-10, uh, the place that won 15 games in about 10 years. And uh, for whatever reason, we just hit her. My brother was coaching with me then. He came with me, hired a couple other guys that were great football coaches. We had a lot of good players on that team, and we just had a good team. So we went from no wins to nine in my first year as a head coach, I think. I know at the time that was the first time that had ever happened in Georgia. I don't, I don't know if it has since,
0: hmm.
1: but that was, uh, that was about 12, 13, or 13, 14 years ago now. But um, we did that. And so from then on, I just kind of had a name as a coach, I guess if that makes sense. And yeah. we didn't have those, we didn't always win that many games every year. We had a decent team every year for the next 12 years or so, but um, kind of that trajectory just got me in the game. And I, I don't, I would lie to you if I told you I had this goal to be the head coach to do this. And, I just kind of wanted to be out there and coach. And for whatever reason, I just kept getting promoted, you know, and it, and I don't want to sound humble on that. I just, it is kind of what happened. And um, it just led me to, you know, indirectly to where I am today. But I'm very grateful to those coaches I had in middle school, high school, uh, the people who mentored me throughout my college career. And then obviously Coach Maxwell and the guys that took me in when I really started as a, a real assistant coach.
0: Yeah. No, I, I've been uh, – we do a podcast with a coach from Louisiana uh, who's who's great, you know, to talk to and to talk football with. But he he's kind of a fast riser too, a guy who, um, you know, I think now he's a coordinator, but he's in his late 20s. He's going to be, you know, a head coach probably pretty soon because he's a really – you know, his team's really good right now and he's calling all the plays. Uh, but – he said it, the one thing he struggled with early in his career is, you know, as a young fast riser, he kind of was a little overconfident and he thought he knew everything. And he said the coach would have to sit him down a few times and just say, look, like you're listening to me. You know, I'm, I'm the head coach. Did you have moments like that where, because you were rising so fast, you became a little too overconfident?
1: Yeah, probably so. And I may still, you know, I mean, I know you're going to ask me about quitting eventually, but uh, I think the people I work with now might even say that about me. I, something Sometimes what makes you successful can also be the thing that's detrimental, you know, and so sometimes a confidence or, or a kind of taking the ball and running with it can also, you know, rub some people the wrong way or or whatever. I was just very fortunate that I was around some really good guys that I don't think I ever stepped over the line. I, there were some veteran guys that were there, and then I was kind of the young offensive coordinator. Um But that is something, if you ask me what's a weakness of mine, and I think everybody, by the way, should know what their own strengths and weaknesses are. I'm in HR now. I interview people. If you can't answer the question what's your weaknesses, that's actually a telltale sign. You should know what you struggle at, and then you should work to get better at it. Mm -hmm. You know, something I struggle with probably is that, sometimes just kind of overconfident thinking I know and maybe grabbing the ball and running with it where I need to slow down and listen a little more and and work with some people. So I – yeah, I'd say that guy's in for a long career of that. I, I can vouch for him. It, it gets a little better, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's nice to be wanted. It's nice to be organized for people to want you. But sometimes you got to slow down and enjoy it. I probably didn't enjoy coaching as much in, until I got to where I am right now. I'm mm-hmm. actually enjoying talking about football with you, Dan, more than I did 10 years ago hmm. when I was in the middle of it and actually coaching. You know, it's interesting that – it's more enjoyable now that I've stepped back and kind of quit trying to be the fast riser all the time. So that would be my advice to to your, your friend, you know, he needs to keep winning keeps keep scoring all the points, but slow down and enjoy it a little bit because it will go fast.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's interesting because yeah, you're right. It's a, it's kind of a, damned if you do damned if you don't situation if you if you Mm -hmm. want to take charge if you want to rise fast you know there's probably coaches that are listening there's like you know they've been a position coach for a number of years and they're like hey how do you get to the the next step and part of the answer is taking charge on your staff and you know Mm -hmm. taking on more than maybe your job description would entail but then you know you don't then people may look at you like you're overconfident or overstepping Mm -hmm. your your role so it's a fine line but yeah, I do want to get to so you know you you are a hugely successful coach, like you said. Maybe still the only coach in uh, Georgia who's gone from zero to nine wins in their first year. What um, what went into this decision to leave coaching or or, or walk away well, from those head coaching positions? You know, I'd had I'd been
1: head coach for twelve years, two schools. I went to Pickens High School, which is the county I'm in now, and um, they had really struggled to, We didn't win nine in my first year, but. We won five or six, and then eight, and you know it just kind of ticked up till my my last year there. We won undefeated, and we won the region championship. The school never won the region. Uh, went ten and zero in the regular season. They never done that. And, and just in the middle of that, it became kind of evident to me that you know every every place has an arc, and every career, you know. And and I felt like it was time for me to maybe go work somewhere else. I think we had done about all we could do at that school. People were great to be there. I loved it, but it was going to be hard to maintain. And, and I was, didn't have the same energy. You know, it really went back to Dan to 2017, which was the year before. I, the, my last year was 2018. 2017, we had two kids pass away in car accidents, separate incidences. And um, on our team, I had another daughter. I'm old enough to have, I'm the old guy now with a little three year old. Mm-hmm. But back then, I had a daughter. We had two kids pass away. And I had a lot of guys on my staff change, including my brother who'd coached with me forever. He went to be an assistant principal. Uh, Chad Flat, who does a podcast with me, had gone by then to be a principal a couple years before that. Some of the main guys that had coached with me forever were gone. Uh, I had a hard time looking at the kids and really pushing them because now I'd been at the same school for a while. We'd been successful. I'd seen two of their teammates pass away. It was kind of one of those things where – I felt like we had this 10 and 0 team. We I just needed to either go coach somewhere else and kind of start over uh or do something different. Well, when the situation presented itself to go coach somewhere else, the the people here were very good to me and tried hard to not let me do that. And um and and gave me an opportunity to work at the central office. Um so I did that and that evolved into this HR director role which people understand how the school business works. It's probably slightly of a promotion above athletic director. Uh, so they've been very good to me. And, and I, my daughters, I got two daughters and my wife, they love it here in Pickens County. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to move, you know, so it's, it just seemed like it kind of worked out in my opinion on jobs is, you know, not to get too deep into it, but I think the Lord will kind of put you where he's supposed to be. So if the right job would have opened up for me and nothing was available for me here, I would have kept coaching. I wasn't, I wasn't done coaching or didn't despise it or anything like that. I just felt like it was time to do something different.
0: Mm-hmm. And those
1: kids needed a new voice and I had ran my leg of the race at Pickens high school. It was time to do something different. And, uh and, and this, this opportunity presented itself at the central office. I never thought I'd do anything but coach football. Uh, most time people at the central office are a principal or had been the principal or something like that. I've never been the principal, but I've been the athletic director a long time. They made me a district athletic director. Now they make me the HR director. Uh, so I'm trying. I, I feel like I'm making a positive impact in the school district, but it's just from a little different standpoint. Um, I do miss being out there sometimes, but I felt like it was a really good decision to be around my kids. I, my oldest daughter didn't get to see me as much growing up, and now my little three year old, I see her a lot more. HR directing ends at five o'clock every day. And so, you know, you get to go home and see your kids. You get I get to talk to people like you. I get to stay involved with the game. Probably if I wasn't staying involved at all with the consulting and all that, I'd be more interested in getting back in it. But this is kind of the best of both worlds. I really enjoy getting to talk to you guys and getting to be around coaches. But um, I'm getting to see my kids more. And my family was happy with that. And things just kind of change as you get older. I never thought I saw myself doing anything other than coaching, but – it just kind of happened happened how it did and um and i'm thankful it did i'm, I'm blessed we're very fortunate to be in a situation where he
0: hmm. yeah that's interesting i mean you, it's that does happen with code i think it happened with bill cower he felt like he was missing a lot of his kids uh time when, when he was an nfl schedule is obviously different mm-hmm. from a high school schedule but um you see some coaches you know it doesn't sound like you're you're, you've made your piece that you're definitely done coaching. It sounds like maybe you would consider it maybe when your kids are out of school. But also, there are coaches who kind of push to the media side. They think they might go back, and then they never end up doing it. So it'll be what? What? what do you, what's your sense? Do you think you'll you'll be back at as a head coach someday? I think if the situation presented
1: itself, I would I would consider it. I think that um, you know, it had to be a situation where my family was involved with it and wanted to do it, and and it would have to be something that uh i didn't didn't want to continue the journey i'm on now uh so i I would never say no to anything Uh, but right now i genuinely do enjoy working at the central at the district office and and then doing what i can on the side i've written a book recently to be published in a couple weeks and i've you know i do the podcast and i really have enjoyed that way more than i thought i would so you know, it would take a really nice offer, but I'm sure there's one out there somewhere. So if somebody's listening, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's a there's a job with a lot of good players and a lot of money that could talk me out of it if they're interested. But yeah. um, but it, it, but it, honestly, Dan, I I do really believe that you know you're going to get placed where you need to be. So if, if situations present themselves to me, I would definitely consider them. And if they don't, that's okay too. Yeah.
0: Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, like like you said, you took over those programs when they were down uh, and there were rapid turnarounds. So you may not have experienced this as so much as some other coaches that we've talked to on the podcast Um, in terms of changing a culture. Sometimes, you know, that takes time and you kind of have to put your own stamp on the program after you take over and, and the program's been down. And then, you know, we hear from a lot of coaches that the biggest issue is the parents. You know, they, they don't have the patience to to wait it out. You know, that first time you're third and long and you don't convert, they're, they're on their feet in the mm-hmm. stands thinking they can do it better than you. Um, how did you go about changing a culture in, in as a head coach? And were there ever times that you'd lose confidence in that if, if parents started to kind of create an uprising?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the key for changing a culture is being organized and make sure you are handling everything you can handle. Because my everything you said is 100% accurate. But the coach needs to make sure that are we doing everything we can do? Not just we said we did. Are we really laying this out for these players, these parents, exactly what our expectations are? Are we holding them to those expectations? Are we not letting our emotions get the best of us when we don't get that third down conversion? Are we able to just drive on with the mission and get better. So I think when people are able to do that, when you're able to kind of separate your emotions away from it, have a plan, execute the plan, be organized, be confident, because probably confidence more than anything is going to play a role in turning the culture around. These people have to believe that you are the man, you're the guy that's going to turn this thing around. And if they don't believe that it's really hard to get it back. And so my advice to anybody that's taking over a struggling team would be step one, you better for real think you're going to win. Not just saying it out loud. You you better look in the mirror and convince that guy that your team's going to get better. And then you have to convey that to these players and coaches and administrators on day one. Because here's the thing, once you don't do it like that, it's, it's nearly impossible to get back. On day one, they want to believe that you're the guy that's going to turn it around. So you go in there and you have a plan. You know, I remember going in – at Chapel Hill, they'd never been in the playoffs. Some school's like eight or nine years old; it hadn't been that long, but they never made the state playoffs, even the top 32. I mean, that's not really that unrealistic to ask. So, I gave each kid a little a copy of the playoff bracket. We just printed a playoff bracket from the year before that had all the teams. As back then, I think 6A was the highest class. We were in the highest class, so 6A state playoff bracket, state of Georgia. We passed it out to every kid and I said, "This is the playoff bracket. You all know what this is. We're going to get in one of these. So, put it up in your locker." or whatever make sure you know what this is because we're going to see our name on this Mm -hmm. I didn't know if we were or weren't I'd be (laughs) but I know I told them that and I know that a lot of those kids for real put those brackets up in their locker we for real made the playoffs that year you know it was kind of a neat thing you know you go to I went to Pickens County and on day one I remember telling them something like look we're gonna be practicing on Thanksgiving we're gonna be playing deep in the playoffs the school had never won a playoff game that school is in a rural we're in the mountains in North Georgia uh, they've been around 60 years, never, even met, never won a playoff game, been in the playoffs a few times, never won a game. So I told them, you know, look, we're going to be playing Thanksgiving. Some of them looked at me like, we're going that's deer hunting season. And, you know, they wasn't all about that as much as I was. But the key and – and we didn't do that in the first year, Dan. See, that's the difference. We did struggle a little more to get that goal than we did at Chapel Hill. But nevertheless, it was important to go into that initial, initial phase with you for real believing you're going to win. And then figure out how you're going to make a plan to win. It's not just enough to say you're going to do it, but that's step one. you got to then come in with a plan, a real genuine plan. How are we going to win? Well, we're going to win by getting the best players in the school out for football. Okay, well, how are you going to get the best players out for school football? We're going to do this. You know, sometimes people say things and they sound good, but they don't have that thorough plan. Mm -hmm. So the plan is we need to do these three or four things. We need to hire these coaches. We need to get the best players out. We need, Well, then how are we going to do them? Well, we're going to go around to the school. We're going to make a survey. We're going to ask our current players who are the best three players in the school that don't play football. We're going to take that list. We're going to make each one of those kids sit down with the head coach, and I'm going to sell them on, you know, you're not going to get every one of them, but that is an example of a thorough plan. So -hmm. you take something and you make a plan. If you say we're going to have – we have parent issues at this school. That's been something you caught on as you're learning. One of the reasons they struggled, they've had parent issues. Okay, well, how can we combat that? Well, most time parent issues come down to communication and organization. Or the third thing is it's their kid and they're never going to be rational. And literally there's nothing you can do about that. So mm-hmm. make sure all the parent complaints are that one. And right. none of them are they that you didn't communicate properly or you weren't really organized. So when they come into that parent meeting, you sell them on, you're the greatest coach that's ever lived and this is going to be the greatest season they've ever had. And I I used to tell parents, Dan, and I think this is probably a key for parents in struggling programs. I told them in the spring, like in April or in May, when it wasn't football season, I would just tell them, hey, look, your kid's going to struggle. Just be ready. Just get your mind around it right now. They're going to struggle. You're going to be frustrated at times. You're going to want to come talk to me about playing time, but I'm telling you we're not going to, and here's why. I've got daughters. I don't have any sons on the team. On what planet would I not be trying to win? I just moved my whole family here. Like, we want to win. So think about it. Why would we not be playing the best one? So just be ready for that. Be prepared for struggle. If your kid is getting to play, maybe other kids are mad at him. Maybe he threw an interception and everybody's yelling at him in the bleachers. Even if they're playing or if they're not playing, you're going to struggle. Get your mind around that. I said that story to say that when you're talking about parents, my experience has been the more preemptive you can be, the more you can tell them when it's not controversial. Because if you wait until you've already not played them to then tell them all that stuff, they're not hearing you. Yeah. But if you tell them in April when football season is in August, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, coach, he kind of got – he understands. You know, you kind of guide them. So you can tell them some stuff that, that maybe, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell them in the middle of the season. So, you know, be preemptive with those parents. Don't – you know, have some rules and stick to them. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not just with parents but with players too. But if your rule is you don't talk about playing time, which I would advise that rule, then, then for real, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, that's just for real, don't do it. I Mm -hmm. mean, just, you have to stick to this stuff, be consistent, be confident, even when you lose, even when you don't convert that third and long, you still got to say, well, okay, well, that didn't work, but we're still going to win. And here's why, right. You know, you got to keep that confidence and keep that the rules and all that, even when the hiccups come because inevitably they will, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to a coach a couple of weeks ago who was a state champion coach in Texas. And like you, he he turned it around pretty quick. And, you know, it's a big football community. It's huge in Texas, just like it is in Georgia. And I I, um, wanted to, uh, you know, ask him about the parent thing, but I didn't think he would have any issues. He said, you know, he'll be in a undefeated in the middle of an undefeated season and he'll be out, you know, eating with his kids or his family and he'll get approached by people, you know, trying to address play calling issues. And oh, absolutely. and it's, uh, it sounds like, you know, it, there could be some horror stories if you don't, if you don't nip it in the bud ahead of time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, it's just one of the, it's just part of it, Dan, I the same you know, try not to be a hypocrite. If you're going to accept the, the extra money, or the glory, or whatever it is, what comes with being a head coach, especially in places like Texas or Georgia, then you're going to take a little bit of the blame. And my wife used to get all upset about people in the bleachers complaining or whatever. And I told the reason that my job was great is because people show up and care so much to get mad in the bleachers. and didn't yeah. bother me at all. You know, yeah. they could have at it as long as they bought a ticket and got them a hot dog and all the other stuff that we benefited from. Then they could they could yell all they wanted to. Yeah. Uh, it's just part of it, you know. So. You got to separate that stuff, but, but, you know, talking about turning the struggling program around, are you letting these people determine your attitude and your perseverance? Cause if you are, then that's a problem, right? So people talking bad or people question play calling, they're going to do that. So is it affecting your actual play calling? Cause if it is, that's bad. If it's right. not, then why are you worried about it? Just let it go. Yeah. You know, and, and that's it. Cause you're going to struggle at times. You're going to have your hands full taking over the struggling team. You're going to have to focus on you and kind of block out some of this other stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Now I want to get to your uh, Parker resources, the website, all the different platforms that you have on there. In some ways, I think the timing has probably been great for that because, you know, more people are doing stuff online now and like, you know, we're doing a zoom right now and uh, this is kind of the way things are, are happening during the pandemic in terms of coaches collaborating and working together uh, but there, I know there are a lot of different platforms, or a lot of different um, you know uh, streams and things people can do now from c- coaching clinics. There's the national stuff like Glazer Clinics and the AFCA, and then CoachTube has the online courses, and USA Football and Adavis do the certification courses. Do you view that stuff as as competition for you, or kind of wh- how, how do you look at the the general uh, w- scope
1: of it? I would see it as just more resources. You know, I don't mm-hmm. um. We don't, fortunately, I got a job, so I don't need this to make me a lot of money or anything. Right. Uh, what happened with money was I started just emailing people some of this stuff I'd put on Twitter and I was getting 50, 60, 80 emails a day if people want me to send it to them. It really would affect my regular job that way. So yeah, you start making them pay for it a little bit and at least got a little lower and I make a little bit of money doing it. But most of it, I used to write for USA football and X and O labs when I was coaching. Yeah. So there's some USA football stuff out there with me. So And I just enjoyed it. So I just kind of started doing it. And um, I think coaches have a ton of resources now. There's no excuse to not be able to research something, to work, to learn that, that we didn't have. When I started coaching, we would go to the physical glazier Clinic once a year and maybe to a college for their spring practice. And that was it. That was all you got. There was no internet really or internet had just started, I guess, but there wasn't these clinics online. Now, I just want to provide as many opportunities as possible. I would like to be different than those people, not to uh, compete with them, just to be another resource. I think our stuff is probably more geared toward high school sports and probably most, some of it is good for all sports. A lot of it's obviously football. But, um, you know, it, it's probably just geared to just, hey, let, let's get some real talk. Or some I feel like sometimes, and it's not a knock on any of those people you named, but I think sometimes – We come in with a lot of theory or something that sounds really good on paper that we're not really doing. You know, I tried to, I wrote this book and I I tried to for real lay out, here's something you can do. If you want to make yourself more confident in the meeting, do these five things. If you want to make yourself, uh, you know, whatever, you want to be better at communicating, here's how you communicate directly. Here's how you communicate indirectly. Here's how you communicate through email. You know, and I tried to put stuff, very real plain talk. Yeah, and um, some people, <clears throat> excuse me, some people will really do well with that, and some might not. Mm-hmm. You know, some people want I, our stuff is not overly technical in the football side of it. You know, we have offense, defense, special team stuff, but we're kind of like this is what it is. It's kind of generic. I that some of the other places do way better than I do at being real complex with the football. Mm-hmm. And you know, every scenario for every front for everything, you know, we kind of were going to run this stuff and we were just going to be real organized. So the net, the the magic in my teams was how we practiced or how we got organized or how many reps we could get. It wasn't necessarily in, you know, we had an answer for every single coverage, every single pass concept. So I think, I don't know, I didn't intend for any of this, Dan. It's funny how I didn't intend to have this business of sort. It just kind of has happened, but now I just hope it's it's a blessing to some people and helps them. And you know like i said if anybody can't afford something on there they email me i basically give it to them i it's not really about money mm-hmm. i just genuinely like uh sharing and, and helping and it's uh it's just providing a platform but i think you know i I've, I've learned from places like usa football i learned from uh coach tube and i've played your clinics i i hope they don't see me as competition cuz i'm no competition them mm-hmm. i uh i don't see them as that i just want to be another reference another resource for people that, that might need
0: it. Yeah. Now, what it's interesting, because we've been putting together uh, stories and magazines and digital publications throughout the pandemic. And I think, you know, over the summer, coaches were all l- wondering, you know, how's it going to how, how's it going to look when it comes back? Or how are coaches communicating with players during this whole thing? And what's the best way to have practices at a distance? And, you know, what's the safest way to disinfect the mm-hmm. locker room? And I think for a while there, maybe like March to July, you know, that was what coaches were talking about. And and if you were on Twitter, you know, you could see that. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I don't think that's so much what coaches are talking about because, you know, in 35 states, people are playing right now. And I think it's more about what they always talk about in the fall, you know, X's and O's and um, strategy and some of the topics you just mentioned. What do you what what do you think coaches are talking about right now?
1: Well, I think it was a combination of both, you know, because you do have 15 states not playing. And, right, yeah. Uh, I, I do think those 35 that are playing could have been 15. Uh, if it were, there was a push late to kind of hang in there. Yeah. And Georgia was one of them. You know, I I thought for a time we may cancel too. You know, you kind of felt like when the Big Ten canceled football at first that you just kind of was going to have this trickle-down effect. And the fact that it didn't made people like me happy because we feel like so many good things come out of play uh, but I, I've been really impressed with the coaches, Dan, across the country that are getting to play and the seriousness we've tried to take uh, the the cautious nature and some of the things they're they're asking coaches to do. I see them doing them, and let's just call a spade a spade. Sometimes the coaches struggle with procedures from the school. You know, they might struggle in that faculty meeting or in some of these different things that happen in the school day, and the coaches kind of get a bad rap for not taking it serious or for not whatever. But with these COVID precautions, everybody I've been around has done a great job, and that's in part why we are where we are with playing. Now, I do think the further we've gotten into the season now, we're in October now, it is settled down and people are more worried about real ball. You're not seeing near the talk of the that. And, and you, you probably you probably won't until there's some kind of uptick or there's some kind of thing that might would happen that would make that back into the narrative again. You know, the fact that we played weeks of football in these states, and, and I had, to the best of my knowledge, the numbers haven't changed because of that, that. That's very encouraging. And I mean, the thought of not having high school sports or college sports, some of that stuff, it was just crazy to me because the culture, not, not because winning or because of anything, but just the, those kids that really genuinely depend on that for a purpose or for a reason to come to school every day. Uh, it was just going to be devastating if we ever lost that. I felt like if we lost it, if all 50 states had canceled, I don't know if we could have gotten it back. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, I know they'd have had
1: high school football again, but I don't know if it would have been like it was. And so it was really important that we were able to kind of push through that. And now I hope and pray that it continues like it is now where it hasn't been. The big part of the narrative hasn't been that we're having these games and it's causing communities to spike in COVID. So Mm -hmm. um, hopefully that continues what coaches are talking about now, I think you're in the middle of the season. I think that people are either struggling. You know, most places are about the midseason. People who are struggling or trying to find a way to end the season positively or, in some cases, maybe trying to find another job. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> and the people who, the people who are doing well should right now see that if they're five games in, they still got five more and then playoffs, they need to be working hard at their team getting better no matter who the opponent is. And then if they're on – social media or something like we do, then I hope they're trying to find something they can use in the late half of the season or something that'll help them win a playoff game or, you know, something, just something that, you know, sometimes these little nuggets of things I picked up this time of year really did help us occasionally. And sometimes I read something, you know, from publications like yours, or, or we read something on, you know, X and O labs, USA football, wherever. And we just took a little piece of the article, but we put it in something and it really did help us win a game late in the year so. I, you know, I hope people are looking for that kind of stuff. And then, uh, when the season's over, it'll go back into all season mode. And I hope it'll go back to normal where they're just like they normally are just wanting to hear about the glazier clinics and mm-hmm. what, what new ideas people have and all that, that would make normal would be so great, wouldn't it? You yeah. took normal for granted.
0: I know. Um, and it would have been so de- devastating, I think, you know, or, or at least, you know, the, a couple of states like Maine, uh, you know, they're not sure if they're going to have football at all because the seasons are just, you know, you have a football season starting in March and Maine's going to be difficult. But that's that's going to have a devast- devastating impact across more sports than football, too, because so many sports rely on football for yeah. those gate receipts and, uh, you know, concessions and everything else. So. I'm glad it's going well in a lot of states. Like you said, we haven't seen those spikes, so hopefully that does continue. I want to ask you about – so I had mentioned earlier there are plenty of different uh, platforms on the parkerresources.org website between coaching documents, PDFs. um, There's the online courses – there are, there's plenty of podcasts there. It look like, I think your timeline on the podcast is similar to ours. We just started in the beginning of the pandemic in March as just another opportunity to produce content. It looks like that's about when you started. Uh, is that your favorite? You also have a YouTube channel. Is, are, is the podcast your preferred platform or what, what are you enjoying the most?
1: Yeah, I like all of them. It's different, but the podcast is probably my most fun because I do it with two of my friends. One's my brother, one right. my friend. And, you know, so it, it's been neat to talk to people, just like talking to you today. And, uh, yeah, it, it, that's a little more interactive. You know, some of that other stuff is something I may have written or I may have changed the format or tweaked it slightly, but some of that stuff's been written for 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't much uh, messed with it, but this, you know, the podcast is changing and we can talk about stuff like we're talking about right now on, on, um, in October about how COVID's going. And so that part's probably been the most fun, but, but I, I, I just want to put out any, I, if there's another method or another mean of putting some information out, we'll try that too. I mean, I started out just doing those, just posting stuff on social media and then people encourage us to do a podcast. So that's what's and in the pandemic. We were all sitting at home, uh, working from home. So the three of us decided to start that and it kind of taken off and, um, then I have people want me to write this book. Uh, and so I did that and it, it you know, it will be published in a couple of weeks, but you know, so I, I don't know, I, I'm really enjoying just doing whatever. I, I like all of them, but the podcast is fun because of the personal nature of it. And, you know, you get to really talk to people and, and you get, we've had some good guests and, uh, and, and, you know, doing it with my friends and that's been kind of neat.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's cool. It's good. It's fun to listen to. I listened to a couple before we had you on. Um, one, one inside podcast, it's like an inside baseball question about podcasting. So we're, you know, the coach, we're probably going to lose some coaches here, but uh, I wanted to ask you, I was listening to one and it starts off with a commercial about uh, Eastern Bank, FDIC. And I was like, I, that sounds like a local commercial to me. And I looked it up and that bank is based in Massachusetts in New Hampshire, which is I live in Massachusetts. So how does that work? I like, how am I listening to a regional ad on the beginning of your podcast? How does that work?
1: That'd be a better question for Michael. He's kind of the producer. Oh, he my, is. Okay. I, what I think is on the, on the, the platform we use, uh, we just have the ads on you make it, you know, you don't, we, we, I don't think we've ever made any money off of it. It, oh, it okay. pays for the service and stuff like that. So we don't pay a monthly fee to put all that out. So it might make a little bit more of it. It might literally make $10 a month.
0: That makes but
1: sense. I think they set the. I think that platform Spreaker in that case sets the, um, sets the commercial so it probably is something where it knows where your location is and pulls for commercials from there so you probably wouldn't have gotten that commercial obviously in Georgia
0: yeah okay that makes sense then okay that thing's way smarter than me Dan (laughs) yeah (laughs) no I was like wow that I've heard that commercial on you know sports radio up here how is that happening for this podcast but um All right. Well, good deal. Coach, uh, well, I I guess not coach right now, but uh, I'm still going to call you coach because you have so many good resources. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, let's catch up when the book comes out in a couple of weeks and see if we can get you some promotion for that.
1: Absolutely. If I can ever help you guys out, please let me know. I enjoy it.
0: I will. Thanks so much. And for this podcast or any others, like we said, subscribe on uh, Spotify or uh, any of the big platforms that we're on, Google Play, iTunes, and visit fnfcoaches.com for all of our coaching content. Thanks again for listening. Eric E. Step here.
1: This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories,
0: and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at ForneyInd.com, that's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, Ind,
1: I-N-D.com,
0: or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.